just want to say uh, thank you for the opportunity from Pastor, and uh, we're so thankful that he can be away and getting rejuvenated, encouraged. And uh, I told him, though, it's kind of hard to pray for somebody in Orlando, but uh, we'll give it our best shot. I want to encourage you as brothers and sisters in Christ as we think of this incredible week on God's calendar. When you think of Palm Sunday beginning today and then working through the week, all the aspects that took place from Mark chapter 11, verse 16, or chapter 16, which our pastor took us through, or Matthew 21 all the way to 28, those events that took place, so significant that the Gospel of John is divided into two parts. Chapters 1 to 11 is the part of Jesus' first 30 years on earth, and then the last six days begins chapter 12, six days before Passover. And so half of his book is given over to the events that we call Passion Week. When I was thinking about this, um, I've been interested to hear people on the news as well as read in the newspaper that they say millions of Christians everywhere, all over the world, are celebrating Passion Week. So I had a question in my mind as I listened to that. To them. I don't know their spiritual condition, but as I listened to them, this question came to my mind, and that's this. What is a Christian? Christians all over the world are celebrating Passion Week. And so my mind is asking this question, even to the newscaster. Are you a Christian? Are you celebrating? There are some so bold as to take ash upon their forehead as they think of Lent season. They are giving up certain things at this particular point in their life before the actual death, resurrection of Christ. And, and so I wonder, you know, are you a Christian? And so that, that question has been formed in my mind. And I wonder how you would answer this question. What does it mean to be a Christian? How would you answer that? Answers that would come to me very readily, maybe you would even say this, would be things like, I believe in Jesus. Or, I ask Jesus to come into my heart. Or, I'm on the way to heaven. Or, I have peace in my heart where once there was turmoil. Now, I'm not saying that those are wrong answers in and of themselves, but did you notice that every one of those answers begins with the first person singular, I. I believe. I ask. I am on my way to heaven. I have peace. And so whenever our religion forms itself around us, that's a very scary thing. So my mind went to Romans in chapter 8, and that you're here now, and I've been thinking about this very idea. It's interesting to me that in the, all, the entire New Testament, the word Christian is only found three times. Twice in Acts, by the outside world, speaking of those who are following Jesus. And once in 1 Peter chapter 4, as he speaks about, if you suffer, make sure it's not because you're a Christian and because of your commitment to Jesus Christ that you're suffering a certain way, but it's because of Christ alone that you're suffering. So when I think of this question, what does it mean, really, to be a Christian? How do, we, how do we truly celebrate this week? We're going to come together on Friday, which is a holy day for us, to think of Christ on the cross and then in the tomb. So 
I thought, well, let's come to the one chapter that really opens up for us what this actually means. Look, if you will, in the first two verses of Romans 8, 1 and 2. Watch the language of Paul. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are, what's the next word? In Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free, look at the next one, in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The vocabulary of Paul just captures me. What captures me is to be in Christ. The dynamic doctrine of Paul and the New Testament, the dynamic doctrine is this, my union, my oneness with God, with Christ. My life, Colossians 3, my life is hid, Christ, with Christ in God. So just think about this. If I, as I ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian? Would something come to your mind like this? I am one with Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? I am one with God. That I am in Christ. What does that mean? Look down at verse number 10. He flips it a little bit in verse 10. But if Christ is in you, Verse 1 and 2, you are in Christ. Now verse number 10, but if Christ is in you. You talk about oneness. The union that we have with Christ. Would that be your answer? Would that be at least part of your answer? Would that be the first place that you would go? What, what distinguishes me today as a Christ follower is that Jesus Christ is in me and I am in Christ. So the question is, how did that happen? How does that take place? And that's what the beauty of Romans 8 is all about. And the emphasis of Romans 8 from verse 2 all the way down to verse number 30 is an emphasis that relates to the third person of the triune God. And then he flips and moves to the second person of the triune God in verse number 31 to verse 39. It's an amazing display of this triunity God. So when I look at this, here's, here's how I would say this takes place by taking the text. And you can just mark them in your Bible or just in your mind as we work through this. And verse number two, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Liberation by the spirit, the law of the Holy Spirit of life has set you free in Christ. Flip back to chapter 6 real quickly. Chapter 6, verse number 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized by the Spirit, he's speaking of, into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of Father, we too, we too might walk in newness of life. And you think, my goodness, I'm waiting for him to say, and we too are going to rise again. But he says, but we too are going to walk in a new way. Newness of life. Back to chapter 8, verse 2. 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free, in, in, law of spirit of life has set me free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For what God has done, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit in this new way. I love uh, what Doug Moose says about this particular text, that those who walk according to the flesh are going to walk this way, but those who have been released freed by the Spirit and are in Jesus are going to walk according to the Spirit. I love what he says. To walk according to the flesh means to have one's life determined and directed by the values of this world. But to walk according to the Spirit means that your values and actions in this world are directed and determined by the Holy Spirit. End quote. Phenomenal. So here is what it means in part to the begins of what it means to be a Christian. It means this. Being a Christian is not a single event. It is a way of life. Being a Christian is not, well, when I was five years old, I prayed this prayer. When I prayed this prayer, that's what took place in my life because Jesus heard me. And then you go on and you're walking according to the flesh and not according to the direction of the Spirit. That is not Romans 8. You have been liberated from your sin so that your identification now is this I walk not determined by my flesh I walk now determined by the Spirit it is a way of life Christianity is a way of life if I could put it that way it's not a, an event that took place years and years ago so I can't necessarily remember the prayer that I prayed the words that I said the moment that I heard the 75th invitational song at that service. I can't remember all of those things, and so I wonder if I'm saved. Brothers and sisters, you won't find anything biblically to back that up at all. If you have been freed by the Spirit, you are in Christ. And the proof of that is that you no longer walk according to the value system of the world around you, but now you walk in the sphere of the Spirit who determines and directs your actions. What does it mean to be a Christian? If it means to put something on my forehead, if it means to give this up for a few weeks, if it means to be baptized, if it means to join a Baptist church, if it means to do this or to do that, we have totally gone outside the boundaries of truth. Being a Christian means, Paul says, that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. There is a oneness. His death, chapter 6, my death. His resurrection, my resurrection. So that we too, chapter 6, verse 4, walk in a new way, totally different from how we were before we met Jesus Christ. See, when we talk about, you know, I, I read the statistics this week like you did too. Or maybe you didn't, but that they're out there now. For the first time in America, we have more atheists than evangelicals. Well, does that surprise you? We don't even know what it means to be a Christian. It's about me. 
Well, that's the way the world lives. It's about me. Really? How about Romans 8? It's about a liberating spirit, Holy Spirit, who comes within. And when he comes within, he totally shatters the authority of sin in the sphere of Christ. And now I'm walking in a different way. That's one way he puts it. There's a second way he puts it. What's interesting in verse 5 down to verse number 8, since for time's sake I can't read everything, but if you're walking in your flesh, verse number 8 makes it very clear, you cannot please God. This, This is not a Christian. Walking according to the flesh that determines the way they live. That, that's not it. So 5 to 8 is pretty clear as he helps us understand verse 4b. What it means to walk in this world in newness of life. Going back to 6-4. But now he moves and he's in verse 9 to 11. It's not only a liberating spirit. What it means to be a Christian. Not only be liberated from sin and now I'm walking a certain direction. But you can't do that on your own brothers and sisters. Jesus made it very clear in John, he said in chapter 14, I will not leave you as orphans. It's a powerful statement. I'm not just going to do the work of Passover and die on a cross and go to a tomb and rise again and say, okay, believe in me and then I'll see you in a little while. No. There's something much greater taking place. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Watch the language. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. Can it be any clearer? But if Christ is in you, switching it around, if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You have Father, Son, and Spirit all wrapped up in these three verses. And he's going back and forth because this is the way our triune God works. You have Jesus, you have the Spirit. Think of this. You have Jesus, you have the Father. All of God resides in you. And you reside in all of God. I mean, do you, do you get this? Do I get this? So when we talk about being a Christian, we must look from the biblical text perspective, and the Apostle Paul lays it out for us in such a tremendous way, that being indwelt by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, you don't need to turn there, but let me just... Real quickly, the same missionary journey, he wrote three books, Romans, 1st, and 2nd Corinthians. And here in this same time frame that he writes Romans, he makes this, this particular statement. This chapter 6, verse number 18. Flee, run away from sexual immorality. Go the other way. Don't let your eyes look at it. Don't let your minds think about it. Don't do it. Run. 
Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins even against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You do not belong to yourself. You were bought with a price, so glorify God where? In your body. Men and women, this is such a significant, significant thing. The beauty of Palm Sunday is that Jesus rides into Jerusalem, and this is exactly what was prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures, that he was going to come, and he was going to come to his temple. The temple represents the presence of God. What's so amazing in Pauline theology is this. There was one temple, there was one location, and you had to go there for the presence of God. But now, the Spirit lives in all of you. Everywhere you go, you are a temple, meaning the presence of God is within you, as the text says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 18, 19, and 20. So that when you look at the text back in Romans 8... He is speaking about the indwelling of God within you so that your body is the present location of God. Men and women, the only God your neighbor's going to see is you. The only God people in the office are going to see is you. The only God people are going to see in the grocery store is you. The presence of God is within you. And now you are a walking, incredibly walking temple. Think of that metaphor, that walking temple of the presence of God. So if you speak and bitterness comes out, is that showing Christ? See, so when you consider what Paul is doing here in chapter 8, he is making it very clear for what it means for us to be in Christ Jesus. We have a liberating spirit. We have an indwelling spirit. Here's something else that takes place. Look at verse 12 and 13. We also have a sanctifying spirit in verse number 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to our flesh, to live according to the flesh, (laughs) For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the Spirit, this is life. So Jesus did not just do what he did through Passion Week. Go to heaven and say, okay, you guys now are on your own. Here are the commandments. Here are the directions. On your mark, get set, go. No. He takes his Spirit, not leaving you orphans. His spirit dwells within you, and his spirit is so working in your life because you still, here's the unique thing, one with Christ, but I still have this mortal body. That's 6, 7, and 8 of Romans. Mortal body means subject to decay and subject to deceit, the deceit of sin. So when we came to Christ, this is the unique tension. I am one with Christ. Christ is in me. I am in God. God is in me. But the life that I now live in this flesh, I must continue to live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. Why? Because the issue is I still live in this mortal body. When does this body change? Look at chapter 8, verse 23. You're here, Romans 8, 23. 
and not only creation, but we ourselves also, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our what? What's the word? Our bodies. We are eagerly waiting, agonizingly waiting for the redemption of this mortal body. When this mortality puts on immortality, then we will say, death is swallowed up in victory. So brothers and sisters, when we come to the holy text, we say we are text people. Well, then let's not just talk about it. Let's really think this through. So that when somebody says, what does it mean to be a Christian? The very first thought should be in Romans 8. It means to be in Christ, and Christ is in you. It means that the Spirit of God lives within you. All of God, through the Spirit, lives within you. It means that through the Spirit's power, things in your life will begin to be put to death. Holiness begins to be the framework and the shape of your life. Before it was self, my desires, what I wanted, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Now, the shape in my mortal body begins to take a different course because the spirit lives within and the spirit is always going to clean house. Got some mud over there, got some dirt over there, got some rugs that need to be cleaned here, got some sheets that need to be washed there. I mean, it never stops, and there he goes. He goes to work. This is his temple. And the mortal body, every now and then, says, time out. I mean, cleaning every closet, all the dirt. So this spirit is working in you to produce, listen carefully, something that your rules could never produce. If you, listen, your rules could be no better than the Ten Commandments. So why come up with your own rules? You've got ten right there. They're perfect. You couldn't keep those, and you can't keep yours. There's got to be a better way. So the Spirit indwelling you empowers you and as he empowers you, your life begins to take the shape of what it means to be a Christ follower, a Christian, a Christian. Well, time's moving. Verse 14. And there's something else about the Spirit. For all who are being led, it's a passive voice, all who are being led, all who are being directed by the Spirit of God, these are the genuine product. They're sons of God. You don't have to remember what prayer you pray. I, mean, I just cannot, I was five years old, I can't I remember. Look at this. If you are right now being led by the Spirit of God, your walk no longer typifies flesh, but now looks as if it's being directed and determined by God himself. Then guess what? You're somebody that's being led by the Spirit. 
Verse 15 tells you, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, again, to fall back into fear. That's a very important phrase. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I mean, these are the very words Jesus cries on the cross on Friday of Passion Week. These are words, or in the, in the garden, he cries them out. Daddy, Father. But you are by the Spirit placed as an adopted son-daughter in Christ so that your language begins to be very familiar with the Father. He is your Father. Pray this way, our Father. So we're not only, as I state here, Paul, we not only have a liberating spirit, we not only have an indwelling spirit, we not only have a sanctified spirit, but we also have a spirit that is leading us, directing us, guiding us, pushing us along in this particular path. I mean, this, this, is, this is truly remarkable material from the Apostle Paul. Whereas the word pneuma spirit has been quiet, not always, chapter 2, chapter 5, in chapter 7, you'll see spirit there, but all of a sudden, it's just like chapter 8 just explodes with over 20 usages of the Holy Spirit. There is no condemnation. Why? Because the Spirit's liberated you. There is no condemnation. Why? Because God lives in you. There is no condemnation. Why? Because the Spirit, as hard as it is, and as many mistakes as we have done, yet the Spirit is continually to carve and cleanse on the inside of us to make us look like God. So, thankfully, we are Christians because the Spirit is leading us. But there's another one here. Look at verse 16 and 17. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we indeed are who we say we are. See, the spirits are in communication. The inside of us is in communication. On the outside, oh yeah, I believe. But on the inside, you know, there's this turmoil going on. Or, on the inside, you know there's this relationship that has taken place between you and the Father. And so it is the job description of the Holy Spirit to come alongside every believer and to seal in their heart that you indeed are the genuine product. You are a child of God. That's the work of the Spirit. Verse number 17. And if we're children, then guess what we are? Heirs. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I'm glad he put that last phrase in there because this is not some path of convenience. Okay, justified, here I go. Peace with God, here I go. All the things that Pastor James read a little earlier from chapter 5 is tremendous, but the path is absolutely difficult. There's no easy path. There's no easy way. People say, if I had his life, if I had her life, and if I had their spouse, if I had their job, if I had as much knowledge as they had, surely my life would be different. That is nothing but a lie from hell. God takes you where you are, makes you one with himself, in you, you and him. You now become this temple of the Holy Spirit beginning to show the presence of God everywhere that you go. And as you are doing this, the Holy Spirit takes it upon himself to assure your heart that you belong to God. I'm so thankful to this day. There's a, I walked an aisle probably when I was five or six. I don't remember. 
But I remember we had bunk beds, and I was about eight years old, and I'm in my top bunk bed, I'm crying, my, my mom comes in. At that time, my name has gone through a lot of evolutions. At that time, it was Danny. She says, Danny, um, what are you crying about? Mom, I just don't know if I'm a Christian. She could have said, Danny, you, you walked the aisle on such and such a date. You did this. In fact, it was your dad that preached. And you went to that front row. They sat on the front row with your dad, and you knelt down, and you invited Jesus Christ into your heart. She didn't say that. You know what she did? As a hard mom, she looked at me and said, well, are you a Christian? Where's the love here? You know? <laughs> I want somebody to hold me and pat me on the head and say, you're such a good boy. That's what I want to hear. Are you a Christian? Oh, man. Wise words from a wise mom. It's not my mom's place to be the Holy Spirit in the child's life. It is mom's place to step aside and to reveal the Holy Spirit to pagan eyes so that they have a clear understanding of what it looks like to be a Christian. It's the beauty of a Christian home. And so the Spirit of God assures the heart. He's an assuring spirit. There, there's something else here. Look down at verse number 22. For we know, I just love how the songs dovetailed with Romans 8 today. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we groan inwardly. We eagerly, wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I specifically left out a phrase in that verse. Compare verse 22 to verse 23 and you'll see a significant phrase only found in verse 23. All creation is groaning under the bondage of sin. Children of God also groan. It's real. It's deep inaudible verbs and nouns that sometimes can't even be released from our lips because we're under such incredible pain and grief. Can I even take another step? But, because of all this information that I've given to you about who you are and how God is in you and your life is hid with Christ in God, because of all of that, look at the difference between all of creation around us and the new creation, you, as a believer, you, the first fruits of the Spirit. Yeah, you still continue to grow inwardly, but notice something else. There's not only anguish, there's also anticipation. We eagerly wait, knowing something in the future is going to be taking place. That this vile body, Philippians 3, is going to be so fashioned to be like his glorious body. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, lay it out for us about us sons of God. When we see him, we will be like him. Period. We groan, yes, inwardly. Suffering is real. We just read that in this chapter. Suffering has its place, has its purpose. That's why God has, allows it in our lives. It has its place. 
It doesn't exempt us from that which God uses us to taper our flesh and bring realization of our future glory. But in all of this, the Spirit is also, in all of our groans, there's also a hymn, a song. And that song generates from the Spirit. There's another one, one more. If you're keeping track, this is the seventh one. Likewise, verse 26, likewise, as I've been writing all along, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You, you need a great verse. There's your, that's my life verse. <laughs> Spirit helps us. This is what I, I am, you know, I'm sorry for the translations that have weaknesses. It should be weakness. Why? Because men and women, our flesh is one big weakness. It's just one big weakness. So he helps us in our weakness. We do not even know to do the most basic and fundamental thing of life. We don't even know how to pray like we should. So the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There is that word groan. Too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts, that's the Father, right now searching your heart, also knows what the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. And this is all according to the will of God. This is so powerful, men and women. I, I cringe when I hear people quote Romans 8.28 out of context. Romans 8.28 is a powerful verse only if it's tied to verse 26 and 27. We have a weakness. Don't just come and tell me all things are working together for good. But tell me this, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, and the Spirit right now is groaning for you with words that cannot be uttered. The Father knows the mind of the Spirit, and the Spirit knows the mind of the Father. So rest in God, by the way. And we know that all things are working together for good. To those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose, how powerful is that? 29. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what's happening in this suffering. You are being conformed to the image of his son. And then you say, oh God, I, I really don't think I should I want this test. This, this really isn't for me. Who are you to speak to the potter as the clay and say, I think you missed it on this one. So we are being conformed to the image in order that he might be the priority one, the firstborn among all of us who are believers. And so those whom he predestined, he called, those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. You see, it's one thing to talk about a liberating spirit, indwelt spirit, sanctifying spirit, being led by the spirit, assured by the spirit, anticipation our future because of the spirit. But let me tell you something. This is very, very, very personal. Your prayer life is between you and God alone. Sometimes you're by yourself, you're in your room, and you are crying out to God. And usually when we're crying out to God, we're asking, why did you miss this? Jesus gave us an incredible example in the garden. So last night, if you look at Passion Week, 
So he's crying out in the garden, and then he says this, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Praying through the Spirit. In the last couple of minutes I have with you, as I look at this whole question, what does it mean to be a Christian? You know, I'm not surprised that there's so many atheists in the world. I'm surprised there are not more atheists in the world. The church is not what it ought to be. We become institutions of prosperity. We have lost our focus of evangelism. We have lost our focus on the world around us. We have lost our understanding of what it really means to study the word. I mean, we talk about study the word, but just think this week, how much time were you personally, quietly, privately in the word? See, so, so evangelicalism has become weak, not because of the definition, but because of the people who make up the definition. Us. I speak into us. To me. So the power of the word is going to be worked out through the power of the spirit. And as the spirit works in our life, we're going to see this incredible thing happen of being conformed to the image of the Son. It's going to hurt, it's going to be painful, and we're going to groan. But we don't stop with the groaning. With tears coming down our face, we're able to sing. We're able to sing. We have a future, an heir of God. What does that mean? Just take a look around you. It's all yours. To take a look at all the spiritual blessings. It's all yours. So what, what were you, again, were you crying about? You didn't get the job. Okay. But when I look at these first 30 verses, I'm overwhelmed by the hymn of triumph. The hymn of triumph is verse 31 to 39. Look at the first phrase of the hymn, verse 31. What do we say to all of these things? <laughs> so here's the Apostle Paul writing all this down. And he gets here, and he, just under the Spirit's direction, what do I write now? How do I conclude this? I mean, if you don't get the first 30 verses, then let's just close up shop and go. What do we say to things? And I love what it says. If God, in other words, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son, if the triune God is for you, can anything stand against you? Anything, anything, anything. He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us everything? Who shall bring any charge to the elect of God? God justifies. Anybody higher than God? I think not. Who is he that will condemn? It's Christ Jesus. The one who died more than that who was raised, who's at the right hand of the Father. And if you're not satisfied that the Spirit's interceding for you because he knows the mind of the Father, let me tell you, Christ is interceding for you. Did you know that your name is known at the throne of God at this moment? Your very name. Do you know everything about you is known at the throne of God? Right now? 
The positive side of this, because we're in Christ and our freedom from sin, the positive thing is verse 35, so who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Look at the next verse. As it is written, here's what I feel like all day long. I'm being slaughtered. I'm regarded like sheep for the slaughter. That's what you are in this world. So why are you trying to promote yourself? Why am I trying to promote myself? No. In all these things, we do much better than a conqueror. A military conqueror has no understanding of what we are, who we are, where we are going. For I am sure, neither death nor life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So chapter 8 verse 1 begins with no condemnation in Jesus. And chapter 8, verse 39 ends, no separation from Jesus. What an amazing text. About 10 years ago, I was speaking up north somewhere, and um, I, it, it was a long, long day. And, and I'm just revealing my fallibility here. I actually said, God, it would be a great great opportunity for you to bless your servant and not have anybody sit beside me on this airplane. I don't know if that was the exact words, but that's what it, I was saying. So the, it's one of those smaller planes and we, it was up in the New York area. And so in the, uh, when it was coming, there's only 50 seats. And so I got there, I still had my, I came right from where I was speaking, got, uh, had, my, had my suit on, I took my coat off. And for me, um, Reading is, is the most relaxing thing in the world. So I, I take a book with me. Usually it's a history book. Dr. Mike grabs me a history, history book for my travels. So I, I opened it up, and, and I have, usually have a pencil. And I try to, sorry, Dr. Mike, try to not write in a library book, but sometimes it slips. But I, I, <laughs> so I have a little, little pad there, you know, so as I go through, so I can just kind of write things down. And, and you want to know something? The most incredible thing happened. I mean, everything is done, and I am sitting on the inside two-seater, very close, you know, with this 50-seat plane, sitting by myself. And I'm not kidding you. On the inside, I am just saying, God, thank you for hearing my before I get the word prayer out, up in comes an 80-plus-year-old lady with a cane. It took her a long time to walk on the tarmac. They actually had to get, put her in a wheelchair. Tarmac got her up on the, on, in the plane, and, and now she's going to make her way. And I'm sitting to second row to the very back. So one open seat in the plane. And the book, Disappointed with God, came to my mind. You know, I said, oh, Lord, I just really want So, okay, this is the way, God, you want it, so this is what we'll do. So she sits down next to me, and um, I'm reading. They're going through all the things they go through. And then she leans over. I, I love little elderly mature ladies because nothing holds their tongue. <laughs> <laughs> and she looked over at me, and she looks down, and she looks up at me. And I, you, I can just feel, you know, you feel the breath. You're so close. And so I look over at her, and she said, in the most articulate way, she said, sir, are you a philosopher? 
And I don't know why, but at that moment, the Lord gave me these words. I said, no, ma'am, I'm not. I'm a Christian. And she sat back. She said, I have been an educator for 40 years in this state. This has troubled me. What does it mean to be a Christian? Now, brothers and sisters, I say this to you because it's not about, it's not about my life. This lady didn't know me, knew nothing about me. But it is about our lives. Lived in the center of Romans chapter 8. Seeing these amazing ministries of the Spirit which help us understand what it means that every one of us is in Christ. Every one of us. God is in you and you are in God. And to understand the beauty and the glory of this is what makes this week that we call Passion Week so powerful. This is why Jesus went through all that he did. Think of it. This is why he did it. So, may the Lord help you answer this question. What does it mean to become a Christian? Would you pray with me, please? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, in just a moment, I will pray. But as you think about that question, what does it mean to be a Christian? Are you ready, in your heart, to surrender your heart to the one who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ. If you do that, you can have the transaction take place at this very moment, in this very building, at this time. You can say, Lord Jesus, I, I, I give you myself. That's all it takes. I'm done. I'm not walking according to my flesh. I'm done. It's, it's all about you. You take everything. Take my sin. You died for it. Take, take everything. You, you take over. I want to be a follower of Christ. Maybe, maybe you've never done that before. This would be a great time. Maybe you've been struggling with that. Maybe you are someone who keeps referring back to five, six, seven, but you struggle every now and then. You just struggle with that. Maybe you just need to say, Lord, thank you for what you've done. I really believe the text of Romans 8 and just leave it there and let God take care of it. It's his job description to bring assurance to your heart. But if there's not assurance within your heart, it's also his job description to convict you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So how is the Lord dealing with you? This is not a public thing because it's really not between me and you. It's between you and God. The Father knows your heart right now. He knows what you're thinking. So would you speak to the one who loves you? gave his son for you, give you his spirit so that you'll be empowered to walk in a way that you never knew was possible. It will not exempt you from suffering. It will not exempt you from tears. It will not exempt you from groaning. But it will give you a glorious anticipation of the future. Would you speak to the Lord? right now.
Lord, we don't have three lives and we can throw two of them away. We have one life. And so, Lord, help us to invest it properly. Help us to use that which you have given to us by your wonderful and marvelous grace to reflect God, the presence of God as believers everywhere we go. For those who are struggling with a decision, I pray that the Spirit will continue to work in them to bring them to the place of absolute full assurance. It might be getting saved. It might be just that they have not understood the Spirit, what He does and how He works to bind this union that they already enjoy. They just are not enjoying it. And then, Lord, if there would be someone here that's never done this, their religion centers around I, not around you. I pray that you would help them make the proper decision. Even at this moment, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.